This is part one of a three-part podcast. Hi, my name's Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. I'm hitting the button. Oh, it says it's recording. It's probably recording. <laughs> um, hello, Alan. Welcome to my podcast thingamabob. Well, hello, Mr. Paul Wheaton. How are you, sir? I am very large. How are you? Uh, I'm of intermediate size today. <laughs> All right. So I'm with Alan Booker, and we're taking on a new venture. We talked about doing this uh, probably a year ago, and it's kind of like, when do you carve out the time? But as luck should have it, uh, today would be the day that we would be uh, greeting people as they arrive for the PDC. Only, of course, we canceled the event, just like events all over the world have been canceled. Um, and uh, uh, when I said, hey, how about if we take this time to record a podcast, you said, oh, I already found a whole bunch of other stuff I'm going to do instead. <laughs> but, yeah, but, life uh, has gotten busy, but, but uh, yes. Yeah, nature abhors a vacuum. <laughs> Indeed. And, and so uh, we did, both of us, carve out some time, and of course, uh, one of the, I, I kind of feel like I want to take the next four hours and just talk extensively about the Kickstarter I am starting. By the time people get this podcast, there's a good chance that the Kickstarter will be well underway. Um, and uh, so for those of you interested in my Kickstarter stuff, by all means, go and uh, uh, look for my Kickstarter stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. If you're on the daily-ish email, then, of course, you know, you probably already know this. And you probably already supported my Kickstarter. Thank you. <laughs> but um, which, by the way, the Kickstarter is a little bit related to you, um, because we came up with the idea, and in fact, no, it's related to this podcast actually. Uh, mm-hmm. So we made a podcast talking about the PTJ, the the Permaculture Technology Jamboree that would be happening right after uh, the PDC, and you were going to be one of the instructors at the PDJ. Yes. And we lined up like 40 or 50 different things that we were going to build during the PDJ. And we ended up with like, I believe, 10 tracks. And so on each track, there was a different thing that was going to be built. And um, and there was one track that was dedicated to a, a big project. And that was to uh, build a Wafati greenhouse and it would have a gray water system in it and, uh, of course, you know, other greenhouse functions and things, but to make a truly passive greenhouse. Because there's a lot of people that are like, oh, we made a passive greenhouse. Well, you know, except for this big-ass fan, <laughs> you know, it won't work without that. It gets the heat, you know. And right. so we were trying to think of something that's like we want something that's far more passive, you know, requires like it. It works with nature so extremely well that it doesn't require any heat in Montana. So we were stealing Mike Ayler's ideas, uh, the Wafati ideas, and a couple of others that we'd come up with. Um, anyway, we had yeah, a lot the whole, of people. The, 
Go ahead. The whole Greywater thing, um, you know, I did a lot of my Greywater training in Arizona, California, and that area. And, um, you know, those in Southern California, to be more precise, and in those areas, it's just sort of like, yeah, we do a lot of our, our gray water is what's called gray water to daylight uh, because it's so rare that there's any freezing conditions. They can just basically take and put their gray water right out into um, shallow infiltration basins that are open to the sky, you know, and that works for them. But, uh, yeah, you get up in Montana and um, – well, that doesn't quite work so well for good parts of the year. Correct. <clears throat> um, I mean, you want to, we want to do better than what a septic tank does in putting the drain field. And, yes. Uh, for reasons, for all the reasons. But the big thing is, is that, so we mentioned it in this podcast, and we had a whole lot of people that were kind of like, um, can you build that anyway, even though the PDJ isn't happening? And, uh, you know, and I'm, my response was, is like, well, we're going to take on some other directions here because we're not doing the PDJ and we'll save it for next year. And, uh, I don't know. There got to be enough different people that, uh, I, we said, well, what if we did a Kickstarter? And then a bunch of people were like, yeah. <laughs> so, so here we are. We're doing, and this is, uh, very different for me. So I'm very nervous. About it. I, I've had good success with Kickstarters, but this time, but in the previous Kickstarters, I always had like, uh, stuff done. Like I had a whole bunch of stuff done. Like I'm 80% of the way done. And then I do the Kickstarter. Right. And so, um, this time it's kind of like, we haven't done anything other than talk about it. And so now that we're getting into the Kickstarter, well, we've at least made up some plans. And, um, now we're, we're, yeah, so, uh, but uh, I don't know. I'm 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 nervous. Is the Kickstarter going to do well? But of course, we've done the thing that we did last time. I think we have like uh, 36 different items for the early bird stuff, with a value of over $500. And we just yesterday got uh, permission to use Sepp Holzer's Farming with Nature video oh. as part of it. Yeah. And so, and uh, in fact. Let's talk about our project today, what we're about to take on and how we're going to take it on. And we're going to take on the Big Black Book, the Permaculture Designer Manual by Bill Mollison. Um, and we're going, our format is going to be, because we've done this with some books before, where uh, we do a like a page-by-page review of the book. Um, and I really enjoy doing that. Uh, I want to do more of that. And uh, thanks to my Patreon supporters uh, for my podcasts, um, that, that leads us to today. Let's, you know, they're kind of giving me some breathing room to, to do more of this kind of thing. So thanks, guys. Um, and yes, and nobody nobody can accuse you of not being ambitious uh, with deciding that you wanted to do a page by page review of the big black book. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think when I first talked to you about it, you were like, no way. <laughs> There's no way I can get that much time. I mean, it would take us four years to do yes. that. Right. And so we, uh, we talked about it again a second time and we set some ground rules. And, and one of the things, one of the ground rules w- was if it takes four years and we're six months into it, then we drop it. We just let it go. That's okay to let it go. We don't have an obligation 
to ever finish this. And mm-hmm. and that gave us both a lot of breathing room that this is okay to do. It, we yes. have no obligation to ever finish. Yeah, I think another important thing, and the re- one of the reasons I was, I thought it might be fun, was we basically both agreed that since the the podcast, uh, most of the listeners have a pretty good background in uh, in, in permaculture. That we would basically just assume that. Uh, there was a, a level at least almost like of already having a PDC or equivalent yes. so that we're not trying to teach a PDC via a podcast. I think that, you know, that doesn't, uh, that uh, idea doesn't appeal to me too much because it's a whole different thing to teach a PDC. So, you know, we're not trying to teach a PDC here. What we're going to do is to me, I find it interesting to look at this book, which was written in the 1980s and has some brilliant things in it, but, you know, there's been a lot of work in the practical applied field of permaculture since the book was written. There's been a lot of science. There's been a lot of advances in technology. And so it's really interesting to me to look at where was the book prescient? Where were there things that Mollison was thinking about that, you know, have really unfolded? Where are there things that we've learned a lot more and we would have to, if we were looking at, you know, updating the book today, we would have to say, oh, well, you know, there, this, this uh, was really good as far as it went, but there's now more things we can add to it, you know, and, and sort of like also look at what has been done with the book, you know, what, uh, what have people taken and done with this, uh, in all the different practical applications. So to me, that's a really interesting discussion uh, about, you know, not just, just the text of the book, but the fact that this book has, been at the core of a lot of permaculture that has unfolded on the ground over the last few decades and has inspired a lot. And to just, you know, be able to look at that as well and, and put this book in that context and tell some stories around it, I think that adds a, a, a level of depth and dimension to this text that, uh, to me, uh, it makes it a, a more interesting project than just saying, yeah, let's sit down and and like uh, teach a PDC via podcast. You're stating that brought up like seven different things for me. One of them is I think I think before we get started on this project, we need to talk about the flavor of of your PDC. Um, and and I kind of feel like half the people who attend your PDC, or at least half of the people who attend your PDC here at my place, which we bill as for scientists, engineers, and architects. So we're kind of like, this is, this is not for beginners. Uh, it's not for beginners. Let's just say, right. say that. Yes. So I believe that it's also for people, like if, if you've listened to all of my podcasts, you'll do great at this PDC. And mm-hmm. we kind of created this format based on a PDC that I attended where I brought a lot of my people in, a lot of my pod people in, and and they were bored. They felt that that PDC was inadequate. Mm-hmm. So the corollary is, is that your PDC, as taught here, would be um, frightening to a person <laughs> that would have felt that that first, that other PDC in 2010, the people that would have felt that that was delicious and lovely they would find your PDC for the first time to be overwhelming, and they would probably 
leave on the first day? <laughs> uh, possibly. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the thing to remember is like I have, I'm, I've been an engineer for 30 years and a systems architect and I've uh, been doing uh, permaculture and sustainable regenerative design for about 20 years. And as I started teaching uh, PDCs, my audience turned out to be highly technical. You know, my first PDC had several PhDs and six engineers and, uh, and so forth. And, um, it just, it, it, it to me, I, I kind of looked at things and said, well, there's a lot of people who teach a really beautiful PDC for people who are looking more at the, the backyard and homesteads uh, side of things. And there's a need to be able to take and teach design professionals, uh, people who have been in the architecture, uh, engineering, urban planning fields for maybe decades and really take and retool, uh, what we would think of as a normal PDC for them and, uh, give them the meatiness that they need to actually apply that. And there's several parts that go along with that. I've actually, you know, taken an updated uh, vocabulary that I use to match modern, uh, vocabulary and so forth so that they can take it back into uh, the the environment the professional work environments and and uh, and you know be using um, the the vocabulary that's supported by modern research and so forth and I give them research to point to and so on so it's a it's a very different kind of thing because where I have really been concentrating the last five years is on training those professionals because to me it's sort of like we definitely need the backyard scale and the homestead scale. But really the infrastructure of civilization is created by all of these design professionals, and we're going to have to get a handle on that and get them to doing something fundamentally different if we're going to solve the problems at scale. You know, that, because they keep, as I said uh, when I, I teach my integrated regenerative design framework, it's like, well, we now have millions of design professionals running around the world uh, building problems faster than we can come behind them and fix them. So we've got to actually get to the point of, having them design smart things in the beginning. And that's kind of what my focus is at the moment. So when we talked about making this from recording what we're about to do, uh, part of it was to assume that the listener um, is most likely to have listened to all of my previous podcasts. And so we can assume that there's a certain level of knowledge here and, Mm -hmm. um, uh, and we can speak to those people as opposed to, um, cause I think, I think most PDCs, like Jeff Lawton, I think he just opens this book, the big black book, and then he just is like, I am going to basically not exactly read the book to you, but kinda, um, and he, from everything I understand, he does a magnificent online PDC and it's, it's really great. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I kind of feel like, you know, Jeff's got so much time in this and let's not forget he is the chosen one. Bill has <laughs> chosen him to carry on, you know, the permaculture stuff. And, and some of that is kind of covered in, in these first 10 pages that we're going to talk about today. Yes. You know, I did, I did, uh, in-person PDC in 2007 with Jeff. Um, and, um, so I, I, I haven't done his online, but I, I you know, seen his in person and you know, did, he did a, a very a wonderful job. And yes, he uses the, the, uh, and for anybody who is just kind of popping in and wondering what we're talking about, the big black book, I, I think maybe we should just say that we are talking about 
formally Permaculture, a Designer's Manual by Bill Mollison, which was written in the 1980s by Bill Mollison and is, is the sort of the official textbook of the Permaculture Design Certification course. And, um, you know, it was it, it kind of like put the stake in the ground really for what permaculture practice would be. So that's what we're referring to when we talk about the big black book, you know. But, yes, Jeff uses that as the um, the framework, the outline framework, and, and covers that. And I sort of do as well. Um, I use the book as sort of a framework um, to teach a PDC. And, um, you know, the, the overall structure of it has kind of held up. Uh, it it uh, Mollison did a a really good job of thinking about how to introduce design concepts and design practices in the first four pra- uh, chapters of the book. And we're going to talk about the first chapter today. And so he, he goes in and, and, and talks about design and, and so forth in chapters two, three, and four. And then five forward is sort of like application. How do you apply that? Um, and looking at all these other things about you know, he starts getting into like water and trees and energy and and earthworks and then all the different climate zones and so on and so forth through the rest of the book. So, you know, just to kind of paint the big picture of what we're about to jump into, we're going to be talking about chapter one, which is where Bill sits down and really sort of starts out introducing his concept and he wants to build sort of the case for, you know, permaculture being a necessity, and he wants to sort of build the ethical and moral case for why it is the right approach. And so that's kind of where we're jumping off, our jumping off point starting, uh, you know, with, with, uh, with, with chapter one. So having set that stage, I'll hand it back to you, Paul, so you had a thought you were going on. Oh, I'm, I'm, well, I believe that for those who attend uh, your PDC here, half of those people have already attended the PDC. Yes. And and so I, I because I kind of feel like <clears throat> they're they're wanting more substance or wanting more grit and things like that. So I was saying that one of the things that I kind of thought of is that uh, when I, I mean, it's been a long time since I have read the big black book. I mean, I turn to it a lot and, and there's sections of it that I use in some of my presentations. Um, but reading sentence by sentence, the preface and all of chapter one today, it's like, Oh wow. I don't remember that part. And since, but I started to have a little bit of a weird feeling and I, I, the, the way that I could feel more comfortable within my own skin after reading this is that Bill Mollison visited Sepp Holzer's place in Austria and said, this is permaculture. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of feel like, okay, there are, and, and this is part of what leads me to say there are many schools of thought under the permaculture umbrella. And so I, I kind of wonder, if Bill Mollison were to make a second edition of this book, what what changes he might make? Now, I I know that this is is this the second edition because I know that there have been some changes made to the book um, over the years. So the the very first printing has some wording that is slightly different than than what's in here now. 
Um, I see copyright Bill Mollison 1988, but this book was originally written in 1981, right? Hello? There you are. Hi, what happened? Uh, uh, sorry, Zoom decided to mute me. So. <laughs> oh. So. <laughs> sorry about that. But yes, um, yeah, the copy I have sitting here is, um, that I'm looking at right now, my personal copy is the second edition. Um, copyright 1988, and I don't have a newer copy, so I don't know if if uh, they cl- they claim that any of the newer ones are a newer edition. But I um, that's what I've been working off of, a second edition. There it is. It says second edition. I didn't even notice mm-hmm. it before. Um, and it says 163,000 in print as of October 2004. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, 2004. Uh, <clears throat> I gotta say, I, I believe that this is my fourth copy of this book. Um, the first copy, somebody asked to borrow it, and I never saw it again. And hmm. uh, the the second and third copy uh, were something like that. Um, only I was getting like less generous with each time. <laughs> yes. And uh, 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 but still, somehow they disappeared, never to return. And then this one, I I've I've had some people that have asked if they could borrow it, and I say as long as it doesn't leave this building. Right. Um, so you've got to sit in my living room to read it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, can I take it into the library, which is the next building over? Nope. It has to stay in this building. Yes, I, I know that feeling. I have certain books that I will, I will loan out and some not. My, my library is fairly extensive and, um, I got tired of losing certain books of, of high value. So, um, yes. Right. Because it's the best books that seem to never come back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. I'm going to jump into it. You ready? Yes. I have selected um, approximately 10% of the text. And I believe that if I read 10% or less, then um, it is being respectful to the author under fair use. And then um, if I go over 10%, accidentally, let's say, then I'm going to say, hey, everybody, you know what you should do is you should go buy this book. By the way, there is no ebook version of this available. And so if you have an ebook version of this, the only way to have acquired it is through piracy. And owning a copy via piracy is disrespectful to Bill Mollison. He has said precisely that. And so I don't care what your justifications or philosophies are, owning it, having it, possessing it in any way, shape, or form is disrespectful to Bill Mollison, and I want you to get rid of it. That is, it just makes me so angry that people, and I, I, you know what? I'm, I'm going to step away from this. I, I've got a podcast with Art Ludwig on this topic, and so go to that podcast and hear what he and I say on this topic. So, you know, I, I, I do wish that uh, Tagari would, would come up with an ebook version for one and only one reason, which is that, you know, sometimes I'm running around and lugging the big black book along with me is um, a bit 
you know, the thing. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's big and it's black and it's heavy. And so I would love to have a ebook copy that I could just pull up and go to that one thing I wanted to see and like read it again real quickly without having to, you know, lug the book around with me. So I would love for there to be a legal version of the ebook just for that purpose. I wonder, I, you know what, and if anybody knows who is currently managing Tagari at this point in time, I, and I, in fact, it might very well be Jeff, then mm-hmm. I hope that they contact me and um, give me this information about, you know, the ebook. Like, would there could there be an ebook in the future or something like that? Yeah. But I, I do know that, that it upset Bill greatly that, that people were pirating his book. Mm-hmm. As as I'm sure every author gets upset over that uh, when it when it happens, so um, <clears throat> please please be respectful to Bill. Please be respectful to all authors. Um, so uh, jumping into this, uh, the preface. So there's only a couple pages. Mm-hmm. Of the preface. Yeah, one and a half pages looks like. And so I want to. I just want to share. Uh, this uh, opening sentence um, on the whole book. This is the first sentence of the whole book. To many of us who experienced the ferment of the late 1960s, there seemed to be no positive direction forward, although almost everybody could define those aspects of the global society that they rejected. I, I think that it still applies today. And uh, that is that, uh, man, the problems are huge. Yes. And it's and and then the way to hear these people talk, it's like the only possible solution is to be angry at the bad guys. And uh, that's it. That's all there is. And so we will dictate unto those people what to do. And so, which is not, and, and I know that we we before we started recording, we started talking about this part of the book that talks about cooperation. And uh, we're going to get into that in a little bit. But I kind of feel like telling other people what to do is not an act of cooperation. And it's also not an act of, I mean, basically it's like do as I say, not as I do. So here's a, a person who is basically saying, like, um, I wish to continue to consume natural gas, and I wish for you, the natural gas company, to stop fracking. And... And it's kind of like the natural gas company. And also, I want it to be cheap. So I command mm-hmm. you to do the things, you know, to do things within parameters for which, you know, may turn out to be absolutely impossible. Um, and, you know, and I'm going to be angry about it. As opposed to, like, own your own shit. Solve it yourself. You know, what can you do on your own property such that you choose to not support fracking, like literally. And uh, uh, and I, I kind of feel like this is Bill's opening statement is, I wish mm-hmm. to provide a solution, a framework for individuals solving this. And I kind of, the, I, it's so, I enjoyed reading this so much because today, here, like what, 15, 20 years later, since the last time I've read it line for line, um, because it seems the one thing that stands to me is grow a garden. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like if you're gonna if you're gonna be angry about the way things are, are you growing a garden? And and so whatever your choices are, whatever your political stuff is, whatever it is, are you growing a garden? And it's and I kind of feel like <laughs> uh, that that to me is profound. And and mm-hmm. I it, it does kind of seem like he's saying like. If you're not growing a garden, then I kind of feel like you got to get that done first. Then we can talk about solving other problems. But you start with the garden. Yes, yes. I, I mean, it, it is a it's a complex problem today because you know we've we've evolved a culture in which the vast majority of people are completely dependent upon all of these systems of civilization for pretty much all of their needs, and. So, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, this thing where it's going to be a process of getting from there to something better. And the, the, the way to sort of start that process is number one, as you said, to shift from being strictly consumptive to being productive. And the garden is the first step there. And the second is then to look at and say, well, hmm, because the way in which the civilization's infrastructure is set up. I am somewhat dependent on natural gas for electricity, and there's no easy way for me to get off of that in my current circumstance. So how can I minimize that demand? How can I begin to shift that demand and send a signal that um, that's what I want, you know? And it may not be possible for certain people to just, you know, say, no more natural gas because I want no more fracking. It may be very, very difficult for them logistically to pull that off. Mm-hmm. However, I think anybody can think about how can I begin to shift from consumption to production and how can I minimize my consumption? And, um, and that is practical and that's doable. I, so now you, you have read my book. And, yes. And so when wrestling with this dilemma, it's like, well, I, I, I I don't want to be cold. I mean, you also mentioned something about how do I reduce my use. Now, a lot of people turn right to like, well, I guess I'm going to be cold. And mm-hmm. I wish to strongly advocate, please, please don't do that. Can mm-hmm. we, can we give you a path where you can be absolutely comfortable? Like, like if you like, if you like 80 degrees, let's make that happen for you. Let's, let's give you 80 degrees. That's what's, if that's what you're most comfortable at. Mm-hmm. And, um, and now let's talk about how to how to reduce your dependence on let's call them one of the monsters. And yes. And in in my book I kind of talk about, you know, heating the people instead of the whole house and then we move on to the rocket mass heater and then from there we move on to annualized thermal inertia within a wafati. Mm-hmm. And so we've got all these ways of being able to eliminate or reduce your um, your your natural gas. So, like by by all means, keep it. But can we can we find a way so you can be even warmer while using only three percent? Yes. Of what you used to use. Yeah, and so to me, that's sort of like that means that we have you know the folks that I'm trying to work with, the professional designers and so forth. It's like, okay, let's take that on as a challenge. Um, that as we create our next generations of technology, that we use that as criteria that we're going to use 90% less while at the same time increasing the amount of comfort we provide. 
Um, and, uh, the, the, so, you know, that is a worthy challenge for, to put in front of designers. And it's something that we can, we can do. Cause, you know, one of the things I've, I've pointed out when I, when I've, uh, taught about, um, professional design is that for a long time, conservation was not in the program. You know, when I was coming up and being trained as an engineer, um, and first started off doing computer architecture and so forth, we were just told, hey, that uh, power plug there on the wall, that's a source of infinite, almost free energy. So, you know, conservation wasn't on the menu. Um, and now that we, you know, as soon as we, we were told, oh, by the way, people want to carry this thing around on their, you know, and it has to come be, now be um, powered off a battery, it was amazing how much we could reduce the power consumption because we were limited by this thing called a battery that had a limited amount of, you know, energy that it could provide. And we, we were, we started to design things that cut the amount of energy use of computers drastically. It was just because all of a sudden it became a design priority. And so it's very possible if all of us start sending signals that of what we want, that it will shift the professional design community's emphasis and put some of these things onto their radar, you know, that they're starting to think about that and it's starting to become a design priority and it gives us more options uh, in, you know, and so it's a, it, to me it's a combination. We start looking at how do we uh, reduce our own consumption intelligently, how do we become productive, and then also in those places where we are dependent upon um, all of these tools and infrastructure coming from, you know, the the technological sphere of our culture. How do we send signals there that we want better, and that that's we, that there's a market for that, and that the market demand then starts to encourage the professional designers to create those solutions. And that's basically how we start to slowly shift, you know, shift the dial. I, I think it's kind of amazing. I think an important point is is that it's possible that 10 years ago that we could have said, we want all this computation, but we want it to be on one-tenth of the power or even mm-hmm. one one-hundredth of the power. Yes. And <clears throat> so more computation, less energy involved. We could have stated that that's what we want, and it, and if we did, it would have gotten us nothing. Nothing would have changed. Mm-hmm. But instead, what happened is that as we moved into the cell phone era and the smartphone era, then people were like, "My bad, you know, here here's these two phones competing, and on one of mm-hmm. them, the battery lasts twice as long as the other one, and it does more computational stuff." And so it's kind of like, yeah, I'm just going to get that. Yes. You know, and and that has driven this change. Just what is more luxuriant to the buyers. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that is an excellent place to to grow from. And so when we are talking about change, I think a lot of what we need to do is find that framework. What what pleases the broader community of consumers and then like move in like like move in that direction entice in that direction yes luxury yeah. mhm and uh, that's what I'm saying when we start to actually produce market demand like when the when the market sees all of a sudden that, that that's what people are buying because it you know it, it is what they want 
and it provides them with what they want, then all of a sudden that's what gets their attention. You know, it's, it's what we're buying, what we're actually sending a signal. Um, you know, when we, we spend our money, we're sending the signals that says make more of this. And, um, the things that we don't spend our money on, it's sending a signal saying, uh, make less of this. So it's, it's, it's really our signaling system to uh, industry as to what, you know, what to make more of and which direction to go. And, uh, you know, versus what we say, what we say we want. Um, if we don't actually send the signal through the monetary system, we're not going to get it. All right. The next paragraph I have marked off <clears throat> is beautiful. Oh, I was about to say, Paul, I think you're, un- you underestimated. You said it was going to take four years. Uh, yeah, we, it, with the amount of time we spent for this first paragraph, I think we're maybe on the schedule for maybe eight years, just like that. So. Well, one of the things that we said <laughs> when we sat down to talk about doing this. Yes. Yes. Was that. It's it's going to take as long as it's going to take. So like rather exactly. than like trying to be like let's try and do these ten pages in two hours. Yes. That it's going to be like if if it takes us four hours to do one paragraph, that's what it's going to be. Exactly. I don't and think I, that's I, going to happen, but yeah. you know, uh, we're going to we're going to do it at our own pace, and it's possible that we're going to get to a point where it's like I need to end things for today, or one of us needs to be done for today. Mm-hmm. And we're only halfway done through with, halfway done with what we planned. It's like, no problem. We'll stop it here. We'll pick it up next time where we left off. Yes. And I think that, that adds a freedom to the conversation that I really like. Yeah. That makes it enjoyable for both of us. So it's, it's more of a, a lovely stroll rather than an obligation. Yes. And so, because obligation is poison. <laughs> okay. Right. Second paragraph. Second this paragraph. <clears throat> From 1972 to 1974, I spent some time latterly with David Holmgren in developing an interdisciplinary earth science, permaculture, with a potential for positivistic, integrated, and global outreach. It was January 1981 before the concept of permaculture seemed to have matured sufficiently to be taught as an applied design system. When the first 26 students graduated from from an intensive 140-hour lecture series, today we can count thousands of people who have attended permaculture design courses, workshops, lectures, and seminars. Okay, let's talk about David Holmgren. Mm -hmm. Brilliant man. Yes. Wonderful contributions. Definitely has a flavor under the permaculture umbrella that he's doing. And I, I really appreciate what he's doing. And I have to confess that when I read his works, I have a hard time tracking it. I have a hard time understanding it. And so I feel like I'm glad that Bill Mollison worked with him and then Bill Mollison wrote all this stuff because all the stuff that Bill Mollison wrote is like cool, clear water to me. It's I just drink <laughs> it and drink it and drink it, and it's like, yes, yes. And then when I try to read David Holmgren's stuff, it's like, um, what? Whereas I kind of feel like for every person like me, there's ten people – that like David Holmgren's stuff better, and and I I I'm baffled, uh, and it's like, <laughs> but it, it 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 shows that I'm an odd duck, 
and I'm a weirdo, so I and 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 uh, and maybe there's bigger messages within David Holmgren stuff that I don't understand. So I I kind of want to fully and 100% support everything that David Holmgren is doing and talking about. There is one thing where I'm kind of giving it a little bit of the stink eye, and we're going to get to that here in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But for for everything really, even with that one weird thing, I support him. And uh, and and uh, you know, not that it matters whether I support him or not, um, but but I do. And so uh, I think he's cool. And at you the know, same uh, time, I thought this was fascinating. It mm-hmm. seems like. What Bill is saying is, is that he kind of started developing this before developing it, developing it with David. And, and later I'm going to read a part that he says where it was Bill that came up with the word permaculture, whereas I thought I read something that said that actually David came up with the word permaculture. Yeah, I have to go back and I haven't read Permaculture One in a while. I actually pulled it off the shelf. I have it here with me. I need to go back and kind of look, look at that because there's there's some very interesting formative material there. But yeah, I think Bill and David are very different characters, and they they brought I think their each their own very specific contributions to you know what seems to be the early thinking that I'm seeing when I'm reading Permaculture One and Permaculture Two, and um, you know, Bill was, Bill was a little more, we'll just call it action and applied and David is more of a sit back and observe and, um, be slow and careful and methodical and his writing tends to be a little more cerebral and, you know, system level abstract. So, I can track with both, and I actually appreciate both, but they they definitely are very different writing styles. You know, if somebody who's like you, Paul, you, Paul you're you're very you know practical, action oriented. Let's get it done. Let's you know let's make real difference and so forth. Um, it doesn't surprise me that you like Mollison's writing style. Um, whereas you know I get in moods, and I'm like I'm in the mood to read Mr. Holmgren right now, you know, because he's he's thinking a little bit more about at a larger system scale at times and a little bit more abstractly. And um, so I'll, I'll, I'll take both, uh, but as, as the mood strikes me. This podcast is continued in part two. Don't forget, go out to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.